2 Samuel chapter 9, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Sorry, let me give you a bit of context. I'm going to stop. There's a bunch of new people here who haven't been part of the series. Um, King David has kind of sorted out all of his enemies uh, at this point in the world. Uh, Saul uh, has died, and the Philistine, the, 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 he's, uh, he, he's, the Philistines are sorted. Saul's kind of kingdom has crumbled. So David is the king of Israel, God's chosen king, and things are great. He's sorted out things outside his kingdom. And in these last kind of bunch of chapters of 2 Samuel, we kind of start to look a bit more inward into his kingdom. Now, David, as a good king, uh, is looking for someone to bless with his riches. Strikingly, though, the first place he turns is to the house of Saul, who were his sworn enemies. Saul made multiple attempts on David's life. But it's the Saul's house that David is turning uh, to show kindness. So here we are, chapter 9. David asks, is there, still, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? For Jonathan's sake, Saul's son, he's David's good friend. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Zeba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Zeba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled or lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machiah, son of Emiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machiah, son of Emiel. When Mephibosheth, that's his name, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David. He bowed down to pay the king honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived, lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Tell me, or think to yourself, don't actually tell me, tell me later. In your experience, do you think, in general, people are getting kinder or less kind uh, in, in our country, in our city? In, like, in your experience, do you feel like people are more kind than they were 10 years ago or they're less kind in general than they were 10 years ago? In general. And I wonder, what about yourself? Do you find it easy to be kind? Do you find it easy to be a kind person uh, to everyone, no matter who they are, strangers, friends, family alike? And where does kindness come from? How do you kind of 
manufacture it. Where's the cytokinus factory inside of us? How do we make it uh, so that we can give it uh, to other people? Uh, my family and I took a recent holiday to New Zealand recently. It was great. And what struck us in New Zealand, and struck my son Ray in particular, uh, was how kind people were to us in general. Not everybody, but mostly people were very kind. As we travelled around, we met many strangers. On the whole, they were really kind. And I don't know if it was because we were travellers or I don't know if it was because we were giving most of the money for a service of some description. And so they were, of course they were kind. Um, but we were encouraged by the high level of common kindness in New Zealand. I personally, I don't know if you agree or not, I personally feel like that's something we're losing in Sydney. I feel like common kindness is becoming increasingly uncommon uh, in Sydney. But maybe that's just me. I would love, I'd be interested to know what your experience is. As you're out and about, uh, are people kind in general or not? Do you expect people to be kind to you that you don't know? And if they are kind to you, are you suspicious? Are you thinking, oh, what's this, this person's being kind to me, what do they want? Uh, from me. They've obviously got an agenda. That's why they're being nice to me. Do you doubt that other people's kindness is actually genuine, unless you know them really, really well? And are you kind to strangers when you're out and about? Now, what about God? Do you think God is kind in general? Or do you think he's mean? Do you think he's abundantly generous? Or do you think he's stingy? He's a little bit generous, but not very generous. Um, do you doubt God's kindness to you that's on offer? Do you think, oh, even if he was kind, it's not, he's not kind to me. He's never been kind to me. Uh, do you question his kindness to you personally? Well, there's some questions to think about. In our story today, we're going to follow the exploits of King David and see this great king, this amazing king, be uncommonly and abundantly kind to someone who doesn't deserve it. And we'll be forced to ask a few questions. Firstly, why? Why is David so kind? Secondly, am I kind? And if I'm a Christian, am I supposed to be kind to everyone? And if I struggle to be kind, if I find it really hard and I want to change, how can I change? What can we do to change if we're not very kind and we want to be more kind or we ought to be more kind? What can we do? Well, as I said before, there's an outline of my sermon on your handouts. If you want to follow along, take notes. There's lots of points you might notice if you've had a look, which doesn't mean it's actually going to take an hour. Uh, we're going to whip through the points quick, so don't stress. Um, so, first point, kindness promised. And we're looking at verse 1. And just to give you a bit of background, uh, King David has been richly, richly blessed by God. He's, he's God's anointed king, and God's actually promised him victory in every battle he ever goes into, and that's what we see. Whenever he goes into a battle, he has victory. And if you want to read forward um, next week, you'll see chapter 10, you'll see he has another unlikely victory because he's blessed by God. And rightly so, because he's been blessed by God, he longs to be a blessing to others, and so he's on the hunt for someone from Saul's household, uh, to be kind to. Verse 1, um, in your Bible and on the screen, David said, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, bear in mind, Saul was, da Saul was David's sworn enemy, and, and it, it would make sense if this great king, who's been king now for 10 years, was just kind of mopping up any loose ends. Is there anyone left in Saul's kingdom alive? 
that might be a threat to me, let me know so that I can kill them and kind of clean up the mess. But that's not what David's doing. He's actually looking for someone to bless from Saul's household, which is what he promised Saul's son, who was his good friend, Jonathan. He promised he would never harm Jonathan nor his family. And that's a little way back in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, but it's on the screen as well. Jonathan said this uh, to David, Show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. So Jonathan's passed away as well at this point, but David's keeping his promise to bless not only Jonathan, but also Jonathan's family. When it comes to friendship, David is a man of his word. David and Jonathan both show great kindness to one another, and now David seeks to continue to show kindness to Jonathan by blessing uh, his family. And here we have Mephibosheth, who's a a grandson uh, of Saul. So David's actually hunting down remnants of Saul's household in order to bless them. Point two, told you we whipped through it. Um, Good news is brought to King David that he can actually initiate this act of kindness. There's someone left. So verse two, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, they summoned him to appear before David. He said to you, Ziba, he said, at your service, King asked, is there anyone still left from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? And Ziba answered, yes, there's still a son of Jonathan, lame in both feet, or crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Emuel and Lodabar, which should cause us, we, we learned that Ziba was a man of great means, and we kind of, why, why isn't he looking after Mephibosheth is a question uh, we should immediately ask. But anyway, he's not. So Ziba used to be a servant of Saul, but now he's, he's faithful, loyal to David, it seems. He says, at your service, serving in King David's household. Um, he seems to have changed allegiance. Interestingly, he neglects to tell David there's actually multiple people left in the house of Saul, but he, he singles out uh, this man, Mephibosheth, and for some reason he tells him one, one thing about Mephibosheth, and that is, he's crippled. And we don't know why he says that. Um, we discover later that Zeba's dodgy. He is sketchy. Chapter 16, we find out he's, he's a dodgy guy. For now, he's got good news for the king. Yep, uh, there's someone alive, and this is where he lives. Now, I wonder if you noticed, it's subtle, David omits that it's for Jonathan's sake. In verse 1, he said he wants to show kindness for Jonathan's sake, remember? And now, here in verse 3 on the screen, he says it's, the, it's for God's sake. It's a God's kindness uh, that he wants to show. Not his own kindness for Jonathan's sake, but God's kindness. And that's what Jonathan asked for, didn't he? Do you remember? Show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness. King David is the Lord's anointed king, and therefore kindness from the king is, is synonymous with kindness from God. It's directly kindness from God uh, through David. But we can't help but ask ourselves, why did he tell him he's lame in both feet? Was it to show that he wasn't a threat to the throne? Yes, there is a guy. He, yes, he is from Saul's household, but don't worry, he's lame in both feet. He can't hurt you. Maybe. Was it to put him down so that David wouldn't bless him because you know, there's not much he can do to help David, but... Maybe he blessed Zebra instead because he's got this, he can do all these things. He's got all these servants and stuff. That's probably more likely once we get to know Zebra later on. But I think there's a broader reason why it matters 
that the Bible writer told us twice in this passage at the start and at the end that Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. And the reason I think we're told, I'm going to share with you later on. What we know now is that Mephibosheth comes from the house of Machir, son of Emuel and Lodabar. That's it. Machir was another soil loyalist and he was looking after Mephibosheth, which is great. He actually helps David out later in chapter 17. It gets really interesting as we go on uh, in 2 Samuel. I encourage you to read on. Something else I want to point out is it see that we've got place names and people names. Machir, son of Emil in Lodabar. The Bible goes to great efforts to anchor itself constantly in human history to remind us that it's trustworthy. It's an accurate historical account of things that transpired in the world. Most importantly, the coming of God's son Jesus into the world. We can trust that this happened and it's true because the Bible makes sure it tells us facts and places and names that we can cross-check. Point three, kindness is doubted. Whoever this man, he's laying in both feet, he's brought before the king. It was probably a good two to three day journey from Mephibosheth uh, to get from where he lives over to uh, the, the, the kingdom, the, king, the king's hall. Um, he's thinking in his mind, surely, I'm descended from Saul. Saul was David's enemy. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? I'm in trouble. He was just sweating bullets, I'm sure, for three days as he made the journey, which wouldn't have been easy for him, um, being crippled, to get to David. He must have been anxious. Verse 5, King David had him brought in from the house. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down uh, to pay him honour. It's possible he was fully prostrate on his face on the floor, which was not uncommon in front of a king. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Mephibosheth hastens to bow before this almighty king. He knows that he could be in big trouble and he wants him to know, whatever's happened in the past, I respect you and I honour you. Given that he was lame in both feet, this could have well been a very, very painful exercise for him to do, to bow down on the floor. But he did it to show the king his due honour. But I want you to look at these two verses again. At the start, it says, King David had him brought from Lodabar. But then it says, David said. Not the king said, not King David said. The author wants us to see that David doesn't treat him like he's, a, he's an almighty king. He treats him like a loving friend. He, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to get the impression that David's speaking gently, and kindly, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, you know, please rise is what, is what we're supposed to be thinking would have happened. Now he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, which is our next point. Kindness is assured. David is kind to Mephibosheth. He, he rises him up. Mephibosheth, fear would have turned to joy at your service, he replied. I'm keen to serve, which is the right response to a loving king. It's the same response that Christians have towards Jesus. We're at your service, our loving king. And in verse 7, which is the high point of the passage, we see striking parallels between the actions of King David towards Mephibosheth 
and King Jesus towards us, his people. Look again at verse 7. David's kindness is assured. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Just as the angels will say to the shepherds in a thousand years' time when they bring news of the newborn king, which we'll celebrate in just a few weeks. Don't be afraid, the angels said. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, David said to him. Just as our Lord Jesus promised us in Matthew chapter 19, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. I'll restore all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, David promised Mephibosheth, just as Jesus promised us, his people. My father's house has many rooms, Jesus said. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And David promised Mephibosheth that he'd always eat the king's table, just as Jesus promised us, his children. People will come from east and west and north and south all over the world and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. See the parallels between David's kindness and God's kindness through Jesus. I wonder, friends, do you believe these things are true? Or do you doubt them? Do you question them? I wonder when you lie down to sleep, when you wake up, when you holiday, when the baby's still crying... When the one you love falls ill or passes away even, do you remember the promises of Jesus or do you doubt God's kindness? Jesus promised to love us always in all times through his Holy Spirit and he promises to take us to be with him forevermore after we die. All this is true. All Jesus' promises are true for those who submit their lives to him. We all hope and pray that Harriet will never know fear because she'll always trust in the Lord. We hope and pray that Harriet will never know despair because she trusts in the promises of God, that they're true. We pray that Harriet will always know joy because she gladly receives God's kindness and is thankful for it. And this is what we pray. This is my prayer for us all. That we'll never truly know deep fear, we'll never truly know despair, we'll always know joy because we'll trust that God's kindness, God's promises of mercy are true, assured to us because Jesus came and died on the cross and then rose again in glory so that we can believe that his promises are true. But we're human beings too. And so we question that it's true. 
And Mephibosheth did too. He questioned the kindness of the king. In the busyness and complexity of Sydney life, it's hard to trust, isn't it? It's hard. So many things let us down. There's so many schemes and scams happening all around us, trying to deceive us all the time. We get on social media, it's a minefield. We're hardwired to distrust because of the world that we live in. It's hard to do. It's easy to doubt, easy to question, hard to trust what you can't see and touch. What's well, human to doubt, and can I say, I think there's even a humility in questioning that God's amazing kindness could really, really be true. How could it possibly be true for me? I know my own heart. I know the things I've done and said that I wish I hadn't. How can God possibly be this kind to me? And that's exactly how Mephibosheth responds to this king's kindness. In verse 8, he bowed down. He said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? This can't be real. He's descended from David's sworn enemy. He's lame in both feet. He can't work in the fields. He can't fight in David's army. What does he bring? He brings nothing to the king's table. The king has it all and Mephibosheth has nothing to offer this king. How can this be true? Friends, are we so different from Mephibosheth? We're not, are we? We are spiritually lame in both feet. We bring nothing to the table to offer the great God of all the universe. In our hands, we bring nothing to the table to offer King Jesus. We live in a transactional culture. We all believe that nothing good is for free. Everything comes at a cost. And when we receive kindness from somebody, we're like, what's, what's the agenda? There's, <laughs> there must be something they want from me. You get what you pay for, right? You live to work. You, li- you work to live, right? You often live to work. So it makes sense that we question and doubt God's abundant kindness. But God is not transactional. He truly gives freely and abundantly to all who receive him gladly and with thanksgiving. Despite the fact we bring nothing to the table, he loves us still, and he loves us deeply. He longs to show mercy and blessing and grace and kindness to us, even though we don't deserve it. Our God truly is a wonderfully generous God who delights to give. Whether or not Mephibosheth believes it, David's grace to him is irresistible. He cannot refuse the king. The kindness of the king is given. Saul's land is restored. David decrees he will always eat at the king's table. And furthermore, in verses 9 to 11, Ziba and his whole household of 15 children and 20 servants are instructed to be servants of Mephibosheth. Look at verse 11. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons for the rest of his life. And Ziba was loyal to his promise, at least for now. But he's sketchy. You know when you're watching a movie and you 
at the start of the like you get 15 minutes in, you're like, this guy's dodgy. You just, you just know. And it turns out it's true. But the best movies are when it turns out it's not true. That's amazing. Well, this is Zeba. Zeba's sketchy. Last point, kindness experienced. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Zeba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet, we're told, again. As the king decreed, so it was done. Same with God. As God decrees, so it is done. And Mephibosheth had a son. David actually, uh, sir, David actually, his actions meant that Saul's family line continued on. The potential threat continued on because of David's kindness. But David doesn't fear people. He trusts God. Did you catch that? David doesn't fear anyone because he trusts God, the Almighty One who has everything in his hand. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem forevermore, eating at the king's table. And that's the last time I have to say Mephibosheth in this sermon. And I'm really glad. This is quite a tongue twister. <laughs> now again, the author reminds us this wonderful kindness is despite the fact he was lame in both feet. Why? Well, it reminds us that we too have nothing of value to offer the king. We bring nothing to the table to offer Jesus. But the king adored Mephibosheth and blessed him still, as does our Lord Jesus. He blesses us richly and abundantly and generously. His kindness is poured out for all who will simply receive it. And then we don't, as Christians, we don't serve Jesus out of debt. It's not transactional. It's hard to get your head around. It's not transactional with God. It is with Pretty much every other, almost every other human relationship in your life is transactional, but not with God. We don't serve Jesus because we owe him. We don't come to church because we have to. We serve Jesus, we come to church each week out of love. His love for us and our love for him and one another. It's love, not guilt, not shame, not transaction, that motivates us to come to church, to go to Bible study groups, to serve, to give money, to give lots of money to church because we love Jesus and we want to see other people love Jesus too. And so we're willing to give money to create ministries to get the word out, to trust in Jesus. He's a good king. And none of these things is a chore or a burden for the child of God. It's a joy because of his great love and kindness to us. So let me wrap up. What does all this mean for us? Well, firstly, God loves us even though we're lame. We're totally lame, spiritually, that is. But God loves us still. Spiritually, we're paralyzed. We can't help ourselves. We're destined for judgment and death, but for the mercy and kindness of God through Jesus. He sees us in his helpless plight, and he loves us. Like you would a child, your child who's suffering and sick. You love them deeply, you have compassion. So does God for us who are helpless in our sin. He loves us deeply and has compassion and he pours out his mercy to us through Jesus. He reaches out the hand of grace and salvation. We All we need to do is accept his love towards us. It's humbling to know we bring nothing to the table, but it's a wonderful truth to know just how kind 
and loving God is to us. We don't have to earn it. God's love is freely given. Secondly, can I urge you, if you haven't already, to receive God's kindness with thanksgiving, to say thank you, to trust Jesus, to follow him. I want you all to know the kindness that is on offer to you from God. It's given freely to all who simply receive it. Entrust your life to Jesus and enjoy the rich blessings that come from knowing him. If you're a follower of Jesus, practice thankfulness to God each and every day. Thank God for all his good mercies to you. It's the pathway to joy and contentment. Thankfulness. Be reminded of the rich blessings guaranteed to you for all kind. And thirdly and finally... God is the source of kindness to others, of abundant kindness, of unconditional kindness. Kindness to your family, kindness to your spouse, kindness to your kids, even when they're ready, kindness to your annoying neighbours, kindness to your enemies. God is the source. He has loved us unconditionally and given us that love through the Holy Spirit for the purpose of giving it to others in the world. To whom can I show God's kindness, David asked. To whom can we show God's kindness, we as Christians ask. We ought to be channels of God's kindness rather than putting a cork in it and keeping it for ourselves. God's kindness should channel through us to all other people. It's not good to be unkind. I think you'd all agree. If you're a Christian with the kindness of God in your hands and your heart and you're unkind... That's just the worst. If you struggle to be kind, the first step is to remember God's love and kindness to you. He loves you. You are safe in his mercy and his embrace and his love. You don't need to be threatened, feel threatened by anyone around you like David wasn't. You have every reason and every resource to be kind to anyone, no matter how they treat you, just as our God has been kind to us. Let's pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Loving Father, Almighty God, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us, for your goodness, your generosity poured out most clearly through the loving and saving work of your Son, our Lord Jesus. But each and every day, God, you are kind to us, giving us life, friendships, families, a a great church to be a part of, to be reminded of your kindness to us. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, for those in the room who have not yet received your kindness, that you'll work in them to convince convince them, to take away their doubts, to answer their questions. Is this love for real? And help them receive your love and mercy and kindness, which is good and has no strings attached. For those of us who have received your kindness, who've put our trust in Jesus, Lord, work in us to help us to be kind to other people also. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.